invite you to remain standing and let's read God's word together. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Will you read with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and congratulations. You made it here on the day we lose an hour. So um, we're glad that you're here. And even if you meant to come to the 915 service, you don't have to tell anybody. We just assume you plan to come to this one. But, but you successfully moved your clock forward or you successfully remembered that your smartphone changes without you having to do anything and you didn't change it and accidentally put yourself in Eastern time. So that's great. You're doing great. You've already accomplished a lot today. Well, I've got, uh, so I got this watch a few years ago as a gift for being in a wedding, and I did not change it, and uh, actually, it's, it's not just an hour off, it actually is 6 a.m. for me up here, um, it's, it doesn't have the right time, but it matches my belt, and so that, that tells you where my priorities are this morning. <laughs> But, uh, but I got this watch, and it's kinetically powered, and so the way that you wind it is just through wearing it. There's no battery that you have to change. That's great, because, you know, once, once a watch of mine runs out of batteries, I might as well throw it away, because I'm never going to get it changed. And, and so it's great. You know, anytime I pick it up, it'll start charging itself. You can kind of see it has that neat mechanism, and uh, so that big kind of half circle on the top left of it is it swings around as your arm moves, and so whenever I gesture. My, my watch is really getting a good workout. Um, but the problem is if, if I don't wear it, it stops. And, and there's actually, there's this time period during which the gears are too close together. And so if you change the time, it can actually damage the watch because they're too close together. And, and I, I read it once in the instruction manual, but I don't remember except that it's in the middle of the night. And so basically from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., if, if it stops during that time, I, I don't adjust it and I just wait for it to get later. And uh, since it doesn't have an a.m. or p.m., that means a lot of times I'm just waiting for it to get in like the six hours when I actually feel safe changing it. Anyway, so I haven't hit that yet today, and so it's, it's 6 a.m., a little bit longer. But uh, you know, the, the thing about this watch is, uh, is if you don't use it, it doesn't work. I mean, if, if, if you use it, it works great, 
And if I go a couple of days and, and don't put it on, then whatever time it is, and I'm scared to change it, and, and it's really all it does is it decorates my wrist, and if I wear this belt, it looks good and matches. And Well, if not, it's probably good enough because you know, I'm flattering myself if I think anyone's paying that much attention to what I'm wearing. But, uh, but it only works if you use it. Well, my name is Brandon Blackson. I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, we're in a series called The Walk. We're looking at five essential practices of the Christian life, and we're talking about these five practices that help us walk with Jesus, that help us grow closer to Him, and specifically, this is the season of Lent. It's the time of year when Christians take a deep look at their spiritual lives, and we're looking at how we can close the gap between where we are and where we want to be in our relationship with God. We're looking at how can we close this gap? How can we draw closer to God? And, and these are the five practices. These are five of the practices that help us to do that. And so last week, Pastor Mark started us off by telling us about worship and prayer. You may have noticed we shoehorned two into week one. So uh, that's Pastor Mark, such a great preacher. He can give you two for one. So it was a great message. And, uh, and he reminded us that whenever we worship together, that, that it recharges us and we're actually doing what we were made to do. We praise God. We give thanks for what God has given us. And, and we're formed together, not just as individuals, but as a community, we're actually made for that rhythm of worshiping together every seven days. It's how we do what we're made to do. But then it's not just something we do on Sundays, but we actually carry worship out into the world in everything that we do. We also practice prayer in groups and as individuals, and so we thank God for, for what God has blessed us with. We, we lift up our concerns to God. We have that open line of communication so that we can grow in that relationship. And, and so Pastor Mark challenged us with our action steps last week. He challenged us to pray five times each day uh, at waking and bedtime and then at, at five meals a day. Uh, five meals a day. Wow, that's... Uh, that's anyway, I eat a lot, and so... Uh, <laughs> I've got at three meals a day, and uh, if you're like me, that first meal is really just a cup of coffee, but, uh, but also if you're like me, then you receive it with gratitude, and so you're already in a great attitude for prayer. And so, but just by doing that, by praying when we wake up, when we go to bed, and, and whenever we have our meals, we're praying five times a day, and it doesn't have to be long, but by doing that, we can immerse our entire day in prayer, and we'll change the way that we see the world and the way that we experience it. It'll help us to draw closer to God in the process. And then he also challenged us to worship with others every seven days because we need that rhythm. We need that rhythm that helps us to come and recharge and to experience God's presence, to, to hear the word and to be shaped by it, but also to come together in community so that we can be encouraged, so that we can develop relationships and so that we can support one another. And so that was last week. This week we're going to talk about reading the Bible reading the Bible. And it's interesting in our culture, we have this strange relationship with the Bible where, where we really like it. And, you know, sometimes I know in Oklahoma, we've had um, in the past the year of the Bible, um, it's been declared. And, um, and yet we don't always actually get around to, to reading it. Um, there's a study that found that, um, that of Americans, 87% own a, pot, a Bible, but more than half had read little or none of it. It was interesting. Uh, the, the title of the, of the survey was Americans Fond of the Bible but Rarely Use It. And uh, that, that was where it was. And even among people in a separate study, even among people who self-identified as Christians, it found that only 35% read weekly. So not even daily, but weekly. Now, I, I imagine that includes non-active Christians as well. So if you looked at people who are active in a faith community, that number is probably higher. But, but still, I imagine a lot of us um, would like to um, be more faithful in our Bible reading, to, to do it more often. I know that's true 
for me, and, and yet there are a lot of reasons why we don't. There are a lot of reasons why we don't, and, um, and so some of those, you know, we're, we're busy, and uh, what, how do we greet one another? Hey, how are you? Busy. How are you? Busy, right? Uh, we're going from one thing to the next, and, and we go to work, and then work bleeds into home, and then sometime you've got to find time to clean up or, or at least pick up. I, I get to picking up more often than I get to cleaning, but anyway, I, I've also learned that's a distinction. Picking up is not the same as cleaning. But, uh, okay, I, I haven't quite internalized that one. And then you've got family obligations. If you have children, they demand a lot of attention. And then, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, that we don't ever get around to. It can also, sometimes we, we avoid it because it's, it's complex. There are 66 books that are written by um, many different people over um, over a thousand years and and there's so much going on there that we don't even really know where to start and uh, we read a little bit and think i really don't understand this and then you know why would i continue just to to uh, beat my head against this whenever i feel like nothing's coming out of it and then we also don't know how to apply it, right? Even if we, we read those words, you know, we read some great stories like um, God delivering the, the people of Israel from, from Egypt through the Red Sea, parting the waters of the Red Sea. But, you know, I think about that in my life, and there's an overpass over any body of water that I need to cross. So I don't, I don't really need God to part the waters of, of the Oklahoma River, right? I can just drive over it. So how does that apply to my life? We, we have to figure out, you know, how do I do this? And we don't always know how to do it. Sometimes it's even that the Bible is troubling, and we read things and we think, wow, that's, uh, this is God's word, or, or God really told people to do that, and there's some difficult passages in there. Um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here today, but we did preach a sermon series on this in September, Making Sense of the Bible, and if you missed that, um, it's worth going back to. We heard some great sermons from Pastor Mark that deal with some of the really difficult issues of Scripture, so you can find that on our website if you want, but, but there are a lot of reasons. I wonder for you, if, if you're someone who would like to read the Bible more, what, what is it in your life? that causes you not to? What is it that gets in the way? And uh, there's no answer to that blank. That's, that's just for your own, uh, your own reflection. But, but it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to read the Bible. It's difficult to do it well. It's really difficult to, to create any kind of new habit that we want to, to begin to follow. And yet there, there are real consequences if we don't. Because even though it's difficult, without reading the Bible, we'll struggle to know or walk with Jesus. It's not impossible but it's really hard if, if we don't ever read the Bible to follow him well, to know him, because the Bible's the book that, that tells us who he is, that teaches us what he asks of us and how we can walk with him. It tells us who God is. And, and it's the book that's been handed down to us by, by generation after generation over thousands of years. People have, have put their lives into studying it, into translating it, into interpreting it. People have even, even suffered and been killed in order to share it with others. And we have this amazing gift in front of us and, and yet, we too often don't take advantage of that. We too often don't open it for whatever reason. But if we don't, then we're missing out on this amazing opportunity to know and walk with our Savior. And so, so that's why we don't, but, but why do we read the Bible? I mean, aside from what I just said, and I think those are probably reasons, but, but why would we read the Bible? Well, if you grew up in this part of the country in, in the Bible Belt, and uh, if anyone in your family was even vaguely religious, you probably grew up with this sense of like guilt, like, I really should read the Bible, right? And even if I'm reading it a little bit, I should read it more, and I should have read more of it, and I probably should have read through the entire 
the entire thing by this point in my life. And we feel this sense of guilt and like we just ought to. And I don't know about you, but uh, I feel guilty about stuff, but it doesn't always motivate me to act. Um, sometimes it does, but, but should doesn't really get us very far. I know that, that I should eat better, that I should eat more vegetables. I don't really know how to cook vegetables very well. But uh, anyway, I need to talk to some of the great cooks in our congregation. But I know that I should do those things, and yet that doesn't get me anywhere. I just feel bad, and then I don't do it more because I feel bad, and then I feel worse. And it's just kind of this, this cycle that, that um, doesn't get me anywhere. And so that's really not a compelling reason. Well, why would we read the Bible then? Well, we read it to encounter and hear from God to encounter and hear from God, not just because it's, it teaches us good moral character and if we put its principles into practice, we'll be good citizens. I think that's true, but that's not the reason that we read it. It's not just because it, it serves as a backdrop that helps us to understand all of Western civilization and its history, although I think that's true as well. But that's not why we read it. We read it because in these pages, we can encounter God, that as we read, we encounter God and, and can experience God and receive God's word to us. This is what the scripture says about itself. It doesn't, scripture isn't often self-referential, but this is one of the cases where it is. And so um, we read this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and, and it talks about scripture. In this case, it was actually talking about what we call the Old Testament. During the New Testament period, that was the Bible, but, uh, but we've also applied it to the whole Bible for Christians today. But this is what it says, all scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. But really, the word that's of interest to us today, I mean, all of that's good, but, but particularly interesting is the phrase inspired by God. And whenever you read that word, that's actually a word that Paul made up. So we can't find a single time before this was written that that word was used. There's, there's no record of that ever having been used. So he basically made up this word, and not only did he make it up, but it only appears once in the scriptures. And so one of the principles that we use, if there's a word that's difficult to translate, we look at it in different contexts to try to figure out what, what does this mean. If we read it in a few different contexts, that can help us get a window. But it's only used once in the entire Bible. And so the word that he uses is theopneustos. I know that's weird, but, but I promise I'm not making it up. You're supposed to say the P. And so anyway, if, if I'm, I'm probably said it wrong, but that wasn't the wrong part. But theopneustos, so basically what he did is he took the word for God and the word for breath, you know, like pneumatic pneumonia, um, the word for breath can also mean spirit, and he just put them together. And so God breathed or inspired by God, inspirited, inspired, and uh, used that to describe the scriptures. And, uh, and so we've got this word that's really interesting, but he doesn't go on to tell us what that means. What does it mean for Scripture to be God-breathed or inspired by God, depending how you translate? I mean, it would be really nice if we had like two full pages of, and here's what I mean by this, but he doesn't. And, and so Christians have interpreted this in different ways. In, in some traditions, they would basically interpret it as God, God breathed this almost as if God, God spoke this. And so God was holding the hand of the people who were writing this, and uh, every single word that got written down is exactly the word that God chose. And that's the way 
that it happened. We, we, in our tradition, we understand that differently. We'd see it more as a dynamic process where God was inspiring, God was, was speaking, but also that people who were writing down the Bible and later who were editing it and compiling it brought all of their humanness into it too. And, and so it's, it's a book that's human, but it's also divine. Um, there's this cooperation that happens, people working with God in order to produce the words of the Bible in order to produce the scriptures. And, and so whenever we read them, we can experience and encounter God as revealed in the scriptures that God inspired. We also read something else about the Word in the Gospel of John, and, and this is what it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth." Well, who is the Word who became flesh? Jesus. It's Jesus. If you're wondering why John started off his gospel talking about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the one that he's writing about. And using this metaphor, God, God spoke to us so clearly that God became flesh and lived among us. And in, in Jesus, God was incarnate. And so whenever we encounter Jesus or actually encounter God, whenever we see the things that Jesus did, we're seeing the things that God did. And whenever we hear the words spoken by Jesus, we're encountering the words that God spoke. The clearest picture we have of who God is, we receive in Jesus. And so whenever we talk about the Word of God, we use that to talk about the Scriptures sometimes. I mean, we just said the Word of the Lord. But really, whenever we talk about the Word, the the living Word of God, we're talking about Jesus. And so what the Scripture does, what, what the, the Scripture does is it points us to that Word. It directs us. The Word of God is Jesus, and the Bible bears witness to that Word. And so we read the Bible in order to know the Word, the living Word, better, to grow in relationship with Him, to understand what it means to follow Him, to, to know who He is and what He's like and what He asks of us. And it's always, there's always, we believe in the authority of the Bible, but it's always a derivative authority. It's derivative because it reveals to us who God is. We don't worship the Bible. We don't follow the Bible. We worship Jesus, and we follow him. And the Bible's authoritative to us because it points us toward him, because it tells us who God is and what it means to follow Christ, to be his disciple, And so that's what we're looking for whenever we come to the scriptures. We're not just looking for rules for living. We're not just looking for how to get rich. The Bible does say, like, you know, be be generous. That's probably not good principles for uh, accumulating wealth. Not that it's antithetical to it, but, uh, you know, anytime you hear someone who guarantees material prosperity, they're probably not reading the Bible real closely. But it's not for any of those things. It's to encounter the living God to encounter the living God who dwelled among us, who revealed to us God's glory and God's truth, to encounter Jesus. And so the Bible is the primary way we hear from and learn to follow Jesus. It's the way that we experience him, we encounter him, we learn who he is, and we're able to do the things that he asks us to do. It's the way that we encounter him. And one of the things that we find as we read the Gospels, as we read about his life, is that the Bible actually deeply formed who Jesus was and what he did. And so throughout Jesus' life, we see the Bible having a a dramatic effect on on him and, and playing an integral role in his life. And we see it very early on, even whenever he was a boy. As a boy, Jesus studied the Bible. 
And so if you look in the Gospel of Luke, you read a story that makes all of us parents feel better about our worst parenting mistakes whenever, um, whenever Jesus and his family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then the whole family, along with the extended family and neighbors, went back to Nazareth. And it took them two days to realize that Jesus was still in Jerusalem. So if you've ever left your kid anywhere, well, Mary and Joseph did it too, so feel better. But they realized it, and so after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. At that point, they didn't have uh, individual Bibles in their homes. It was, um, it, was, it was not possible because every Bible had to be hand-transcribed, hand-copied. And so um, it just wasn't possible to copy it enough times for everyone to have a copy. And so they would go to the temple, and they would go to their synagogues in their hometowns, and that's where they would hear the Bible. It would be read whenever they worshiped together, and then the rabbis, the teachers, would discuss it with them. And, and so they would hear it. And as a boy, Jesus heard it, and, and it was so formative to him that even by age 12, he was teaching the teachers, and they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And the impact of it didn't stop there, but carried into his adult life as well. And, and even at moments whenever he was undergoing trials, it, it was formative to him, and it was what he leaned on during difficult times. And so after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was driven into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and where he was tempted by the devil. And what he did was whenever the devil was tempting him, he leaned on the Bible, And so we see the first temptation. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. You can imagine after 40 days of of fasting that, you know, having something to eat would be a pretty great temptation. I know some of us are hangry after we miss just one meal. And so 40 days, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. And so the temptation here is to basically take his power and use it only for his own benefit, just to use it for himself. And what does Jesus do? Well, he answers, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And he wasn't just making that up off the top of his head, but whenever he was tempted, he relied on the teaching that he had received from Scripture. That was what guided him in a moment of temptation. And in the second temptation, the, the devil um, offered him all the, world, all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would worship him. And Jesus answered again, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, whenever he faced this temptation of great riches and power, he responded by quoting scripture, because that was what was on his heart. That was what had shaped and formed him. He relied on scripture whenever he was in trial. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Now, that's maybe instructive that the devil quotes scripture too. And so uh, the way that we interpret it is important as well, right? Um, We we won't spend a lot of time there, but just note. Um, And this is how Jesus responds. He said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so at times that he was tried, that he was struggling and going through difficult temptations, he relied on the teaching that he had received from Scripture. And so whenever we're in difficult situations, whether that's with our family, whether that's something that we're facing at work, a decision that we have to make, where do we go to? Well, if we're formed by Scripture, that guides the way that we respond. We're able to respond in a better way because of the way that we're shaped and formed. Not only did he rely on it for his own personal um, 
personal trials, but it was also the foundation of his own teaching. So Jesus didn't come and say, all right, you all had the Old Testament. I'm going to give you something new now. Throw all of that out. This is all new. He actually built upon that foundation and expanded upon it. And so whenever he was asked which commandment is the greatest, this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's straight out of Deuteronomy 6. And your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself is straight out of Leviticus. And so whenever he was asked which commandments are the most important, what was really the foundation of his teaching and and what it means for us to follow him, he was quoting scripture. He was quoting from the words of the Old Testament. And that was the foundation for all of his teaching. And then finally, whenever things were at their worst, whenever he was going through the, the most difficult trial of his life and even was dying, Jesus prayed the words of scripture Whenever he came to the end of his life, it was the words of Scripture that found their way to his mouth. And so then Jesus from the cross, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. You know, whenever we're, we're in those moments where the pressure is the greatest, or whenever we're struggling or suffering the most, or even if we're just in pain, who we really are comes out. What's most fundamental to us comes out. And for him, it was the words of Scripture. For him, it was trusting in in God, trusting his spirit to God, even as he died. And whenever we're formed by the words of Scripture, whenever they shape us, we're able to respond in that way too. And even whenever we go through the things that are most difficult, even whenever we're suffering, even when we're at the end of our lives, we find hope because we encounter God in the Scriptures because we know that the scriptures point us to the word of God. The words of scripture shape Jesus' entire life. And that's the goal for us as well, not just that we would know a lot of things from the Bible, not just that we'd be able to recite Israelite history from front to back, but that they would shape us, that we wouldn't just just know the Bible, but that we would encounter it, that we'd be shaped by it, that we'd be formed by it, and that we would live differently because of it. And in the life of Jesus, we see what is possible when our lives are formed by Scripture. He shows us through his entire life what is possible because he was deeply formed by it. And, you know, one of the things that that hopefully you see is as we're talking through these five practices during this series, we're not just making stuff up. We're actually drawing things from Scripture, and specifically, we're drawing from the life of Jesus. What were the spiritual practices that helped him to be faithful in his relationship with God? In this case, we see clearly that Scripture was one of the foundational practices of his life. And so the question for us is, how can we be formed in the same way? How can we be deeply shaped by Scripture? Well, it's kind of like my watch. If you don't use it, it won't work. You've got to read it. We've got to spend time with it. If we don't use it, it won't work. And so how do we do that? Uh, We've talked about some of the things that make it difficult for us to read Scripture. I just want to share a few ideas that may help you as as you're um, striving to incorporate that into into your life or to increase the way that, that you're shaped by it. And so one of those is read for both information and formation, for information and formation. Now, I know I'm tempted whenever I read Scripture. I I really like to be able to check stuff off, you know? There's just that satisfying feeling whenever you have a list and you check something off. So I'll go through it, and whatever I'm reading today, I will read it, and I'll check that off the list, and then I'll think, what did I just read about? 
I don't know, but it is done. I checked it off. And so I, I go through it, but it hasn't had any effect on me. And sometimes even if we do retain some of it, we take in the information, but it really doesn't have anything to do with who we are, how we live, right? I mean, you've probably met people who knew the Bible really well, who, who had a Bible verse for every situation that they encountered, and they were complete jerks. Have you ever met anyone like that? And you think, okay, I, I read about Jesus, and you're quoting a lot of scripture at me, but I can't really see the connection. Like, something is not quite working well. And, and that's what happens to us if we just take in the information, but don't let it form us. Now, we need the information as well, or else we don't know how we're being formed. And so it's not just, you know, I'll, I'll read something and, and let it shape me without really learning anything. Those two things are necessary for us to hold together. We have to do both. And so we read for information and formation. And then, if you're trying to instill this habit in your life, start small. Begin with the Gospels, read just a few verses daily, but start small. You know, I know we've got a lot of high achievers here who are like, you're right, I want to start reading the Bible. Thanks for the challenge, Pastor Brandon. You're welcome. And so you just dive in and say, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a month. And on day one, you start reading and you realize, wow, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. But you do it because you said you would. And then on day two, you make it about halfway through and then somebody from work calls and you've got to go and take care of that and you'll get to it later that night. But by the time you get home, you're way too tired to read anything. You'll just fall asleep on the pages. So you'll just do a day and a half tomorrow. And then tomorrow happens and you think, when am I going to have six hours to read all of this? And, and you know, from there it just kind of falls apart. Has, anyone, has that ever happened to anyone? That happens to us whenever we try to take on habits and try to take on too much at once. The important thing is starting small. This is what, what James Clear says. He says, the point is to master the habit of showing up. The truth is a habit must be established before it improved. And so if you really want to improve your habit of Bible reading, it's important to have the habit of reading first before you try to take it to the next level. And so one of the things that Clear talks about is he encourages people who are trying to start a new habit to, to do something as their first step to, to do something that only takes two minutes. So he'll even suggest people go to the gym, work out for two minutes, and then leave. Because everybody has time to work out for two minutes, right? I mean, I don't care how busy you are. You can spare two minutes to work out. But what's the hard part about working out? It's getting to the gym, right? I mean, if you get to the gym, something's probably going to happen. It's, the challenge is just in getting there. And so if you can make the habit small enough, then you overcome the kind of cognitive obstacle that you have to doing it. And it's the same with the Bible. I know some days I'm, I'm leading a disciple Bible study group and we have you know, three to five chapters a day that we read. And, and sometimes I, I like to do that in the morning, but uh, you know, I have a four-year-old and so mornings rarely go the way I want them to. And, and, but I think you know, I, I'm going to read all of this, but if I don't have time to read the whole thing, a lot of times I won't even start because I want to be able to do all of it. And so I end up not doing it because I want to do it perfectly. And so we start small. And then start with the Gospels, because if, if you haven't spent much time reading the Bible, like starting in Genesis is going to be really hard, because Genesis is pretty, it's pretty engaging, and there are a lot of good stories, and then the first half of Exodus is exciting, and you see all, all, of, the, all of the plagues and the miracles and the people being delivered, and then you get to the second half of Exodus, and then it's God giving the law, and it's like, okay, there are a lot of laws, over 600, did you know that? And then you get through that, and then Leviticus, and it's more of the same, and you think, oh my gosh, so like, 
you can't even boil a kid in, in its mother's milk. Like, that would never have even occurred to me. Why was this a thing that we needed to prohibit? And I don't even know what, what most of my clothes are made out of. I don't, what, does this even mention polyester? And, and you get through all of these things, and it's, you know, all kinds of sacrifices. And you think, okay, we don't, we don't really have an altar where we can make sacrifices. I don't think Pastor Mark would like that very much if I did that in the sanctuary. And, and then you get to numbers. And then it's like, okay, I know exactly how many cubits every dimension of the tabernacle is, but I do not know what a cubit is. Like, we're, and, and so Numbers is the place where, where full Bible reading plans go to die. I mean, that's, if you can make it through that, you can make it, but, but many of us have fallen off the wagon there. And so if you're trying to start that habit, start someplace clear. And really, if, if you haven't spent much time with the, with the Bible, the Gospels are the place to start. Because that's where we read about our Savior. That's where we read about the living Word. And so maybe this year during Lent, if you're trying to, to start this habit or you're trying to get back into it, maybe read the Gospel of Luke or Mark. I've heard that's Pastor Mark's favorite. <laughs> but start small. And then read consistently. Because if we really want to be shaped and formed, you know, reading a lot one day a week is not going to make much of an impact. I'm, uh, I'm training for a half marathon right now, and it is going okay. And, uh, and so every week I have a certain number of miles that I need to run if I'm going to be in shape by the time we get there. But if I save all of those miles for Saturday, it's not going to work, and I'm probably going to get injured. And so the magic is in doing a little bit day after day, and, and that helps me to get in shape. And in the same way, if we do a little bit day after day, we get in the habit of immersing ourselves in the Scripture, and then slowly, even if we're just reading a few verses a day, it begins to shape us and to form us. And whenever we come into difficult times, the words of Scripture come to mind. And whenever we're trying to make difficult decisions, the words of Scripture are what guide us. And so if we practice it consistently, then we're really giving God a chance to do something with us, to shape us and to form us. And then lastly, I want to give you a, a suggest a new practice that maybe you've never practiced before. It's called Lectio Divina. And one of the things that I had to go to seminary and get a religion degree to learn is that there are a lot of really powerful prayer and scripture reading practices in the Christian tradition that most of us have never heard of. And so one of those that's made a big impact on me is called Lectio Divina, and that's um, a fancy Latin word for divine reading. But basically, it's a prayerful way of reading scripture. And so there are four steps, and uh, I didn't even make you fill in the blanks on these. I don't think, right? It's been a while since I made that. But, uh, but there are four of them. And so the first one is just reading. Read through it twice. So the first time you read through, and you're just kind of getting the lay of the land, just kind of getting the outline of what happens. And then you read it through a second time. And this time you're going a little bit more slowly and you're listening for a particular word or phrase that sticks out to you. You're really asking for the Holy Spirit to nudge you, saying, what do you want me to hear today? And so you're listening for that the second time through. The second step is meditating. And so you take that, that word or phrase that you heard and you begin to meditate, kind of almost chewing on it, just thinking through, you know, what, what does this mean for me? What might God be trying to tell me? How, how can I apply this word to my life. The third is contemplating, is, is contemplation. And basically, just kind of after we go through that, that work of meditating, just kind of relaxing, quieting our minds, and just being receptive, just listening and saying, speak, Lord. Speak whatever message you would have me hear. 
And then finally, we close in prayer. We say, thank you for what you've spoken to me. Help me to understand it better. Help me to put it into practice in my life. Thank you for loving me. And as we practice this, one of the things that's really helped me, I told you I really like to check off the box and get it done. It's really helped me not just to read it for completion or to read it to learn things, but actually to ask, what might God be saying to me? Lord, how would you have me change in response to this word? And so I, wanna, I actually want to practice this with you and just invite you to, uh, to experience this. And maybe this is something that will help you in your prayer and scripture reading as well. And so um, I invite you to get comfortable. And if it's helpful, you can close your eyes if that helps you to focus. And, uh, and we'll read through this. Well, I'll read it to you. You can just, uh, just hear. And so I invite you to take in a deep breath and then to let it out and to hear these words. From now on, brothers and sisters... If anything is excellent, and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. Now I'm going to read it again, and I invite you just to to listen this time for a particular word or phrase that catches your attention. Listen for what the Holy Spirit might be drawing to your attention. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. Now just meditate on what you've heard. What is the thought or phrase that stuck out to you? What might God be saying to you? What might it look like for you to incorporate that into your life? Now take a breath, let your mind rest, and just listen. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Now go to God in prayer. You might thank God for this time. You might say thank you for whatever it was that you felt God speaking to you. You might ask for help understanding what that might mean. You might ask for help figuring out how to apply that to your life. Amen.
And so that's a, a practice that's helpful to me as I'm studying Scripture, really not just to read the words, but to listen for the living word as the Holy Spirit inspires me. And so uh, I lift it up to you as well. We've uh, kind of talked through the action steps, but just to reiterate those, uh, I want to challenge you to read five verses of Scripture every day. You may notice during this series that we are coming back to the number five. And so uh, the challenge is to read five verses every day. And, and once you establish that habit, or if you're already in the practice of reading Scripture daily, you can work toward a chapter every week, or a cha- five chapters every week. That's a chapter a day, and then you've got two days to catch up as well. But, but start small. Start small and, and get into that habit of reading and listening daily. And then I invite you to try Lectio Divina again this week. It works best with short passages. If you're doing five verses, that's just about right. And so, uh, so, but practice that and ask God what God might be saying to you through the words of Scripture, not just reading for information, but asking God to form you through those words as well. And then find a group to study Scripture with. Um, one, of the, one of the best things that we do is disciple Bible study. That's really key to what it means to follow Jesus here. That's where we really are trained in that. And so if you've never taken that, start praying about taking that whenever we um, start our next session in August. And even if, if that doesn't work for you and uh, because it's a long way from August, find a group to, to study Scripture with. We've got groups on Sunday morning that are um, going through the walk right now that are talking through the book that we're basing our sermon series on, and so you can still jump into one of those if you want. Um, But even, you know, if there's not a formal group, you can start one. We love to help people start things. But then you can also just find a friend, um, ask your spouse, talk to someone, say, you know, let's, let's read through Scripture together, and maybe we can meet for coffee once a week and just talk through what we're hearing. Or maybe you say, let's read through one of the Gospels together, and every night we'll, we'll read these five verses together, and then we'll discuss them. Because one of the things that we find is that God speaks to each of us, but the people next to us often hear something different than we did. And by sharing that, we can hear new insights that we never would have had on our own. Because God doesn't just speak to us individually, but as a body as well. And whenever we read the scripture together, we're giving God, we're giving ourselves new opportunities to hear the word of God. And so I hope that you'll practice those things this week and in the weeks to come. In that study, it, uh, I read that the average American home has three Bibles. And uh, well, I have more than three, but these are three of those. And so uh, I've got these three Bibles and they... Uh, Two are old and one is not. This one, um, this Bible was my great uncle's. He was killed in action in Vietnam and my great-grandmother bought him this just before he was deployed. And so I never got to meet him. And and so whenever I look at this, whenever I look in the back, I can actually read the notes that he took and and learn something about the great uncle that I never knew. And so I love having this. I realized this morning, I don't think my siblings know that I have this. And so if they're they're watching the live stream whenever their brother preaches, they get to learn about the family. And if not, then I guess I get to keep it. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I've also got this one from uh, my grandmother. She died about four years ago, and um, this was given to her by my great-grandmother in 1947. Um, And so, uh, you know, this was special, and she wanted me to have this um, because I... um, well, you know, in, in my line of work, we use Bibles a lot. And so, um, but she wanted me to have this. And so whenever I see these Bibles, I think of them, and it reminds me of them. But do you know what they do most of the time? They sit on a shelf, and they gather dust, 
I'm not going to blow on it because earlier a piece of the leather broke off, so uh, I'm a little gun-shy, but, but they don't do much. Um, they remind me of, of good memories if I happen to look at the shelf where they rest, but that's all. I also have this Bible. This Bible is not very special to me. The, what, what made me want to get it is it was $5.95 on closeout, and it was small enough to fit in my bag without taking up too much room. So in 2012, I bought this CEB Thinline Bible. And if uh, something happened to this, I would be slightly annoyed because it would be inconvenient, but it would take me all of two seconds to order a new one from Amazon. It doesn't really matter to me all that much except that I carry it in my bag everywhere that I go. And I've read it. I've read the words of this. And and while these are great to have and and are priceless, this is the one that has actually shaped who I am and who I'm becoming. Whenever I've gone through difficult times, this is where I've looked for words of hope. Whenever I've been trying to make decisions about what's next in my life and, and where God is calling me, this is where I've turned for guidance. Whenever I ask the, the really big questions uh, about life and, and what God's purpose is for, for all of creation, this is where I look. This is where I find my hope because I've read it. And whenever we read the words of Scripture, we encounter the Word of God, the living God, who is incarnate, who lived among us, who is Jesus Christ. And as we read his word together, we can grow in him and be shaped by him so that in everything we might experience and embody his love. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, for your living word in the words of the Bible. And we thank you that whenever we open it, we're not just reading words on a page but words that your spirit brings to life that speak to us anew no matter how many times we've read them. And so, God, I pray that you would form us through your word, that you would help us to read it, to study it, and especially to be shaped by it so that we might become the people that you've called us to be, so that we might become the church that you've called us to be, that your kingdom might come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for Jesus, our living word, who taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.